Hey folks, Eric here. Before we get this episode started, I just wanted to let you know of a couple ways you can help the show out. Follow us on Twitter at TrekAboutShow, like us on Facebook by searching for TrekAbout on Facebook, and the best way to help the show out would be to review us on iTunes. Now let's get this show started. All right, shit got real. Shit got real. Best of Both Worlds Part 2. I really liked it. Did you? Yeah. It wasn't a letdown from Part 1 in any way? Not at all, actually. Um, I would say it was... Now, let, let me ask, were these written and filmed together? Or... No. No. Okay, because I did notice a bit more of a difference in... Slight difference in the production on when on the second part. Yeah, well, it's a different season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually surprised you picked up on that. Yeah, no, no. It was noticeably... Like, you could tell there was a little bit more of a budget on this one. Hmm. And, you know, which is good i can see the show is finally you know is is in its own here well it's funny because um one of the things that's interesting i think about best of both worlds part two is so uh, you might find this interesting michael pillar you know who wrote both yeah. parts um he was going to leave the show after a year because he was sort of like i was not having a good time and all this kind of stuff and uh he was basically talked into coming back for another season so when he wrote part one he basically was like okay i'm done with this this is someone else's problem to get out of this and when he came, when he decided to come back, uh, he had no intention of actually writing the, the the part two to this, but he ended up writing it because he came back. Oh. Um, and that's actually surprising because the two I, I want to watch the two of them as a whole, but they did seem fairly cohesive to me. I think it's interesting because you know what what the first I think what the first two episodes in the season really do, and I you know it, it, we could probably almost talk about Best of Both Worlds Part Two and Family as like one long episode. It is a kind of third three part um, episode, yeah. It is, and and it, what I find interesting about it is two things. Number one, it's I think as serialized as the show ever gets. But at the same time, it works in a very different way than I think a lot of TV shows work nowadays, which yeah. is that. I think, you know, if you think if you look at something like Breaking Bad, for example, one of the things that people always say about Breaking Bad is that um, it was basically like plot jazz. Like they didn't know what they were doing from season to season. And so, you know, famously and we're going to spoil Breaking Bad here. So if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, you know, go forward a couple minutes um, that I think at the end of the third season when uh, uh, Jesse sh- uh, shoots Gale. Yeah, um, that. They didn't know what the, that, that was like the end. And they're like, OK, we're done. Now we have to figure this out when we come yeah, back yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in eight months or whatever. Um, and in a very similar way, that's how Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2 worked out. Put him in a situation and then, you know, hopefully they'll get out of it. Exactly. And so I think that they came up with a really good solution that that works and doesn't feel like a cheat. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, you you, you know, one of the things I've always done is, you know, well, what if they made the show now like how would they have handled this and you can see a version of the show made in the early 2000s where you know a post buffy version of this show in which you know Lucutus of the borg was the main enemy for season four and you have Riker as the captain of the enterprise for all of season four and you have shelby as the as the first officer for all of season four and they're you know they have a few encounters and then finally the season four finale let's call it would be this where they cat you know get Lacutus back and they turn him back into Picard and then maybe even season five would be dealing with his recovery like you can see it being stretched out a lot and while that would have been you know what while certainly that style of storytelling was you know part of the reason that we have so many strong TV shows you know now um, like Breaking Bad and such. I do like how compact it is. Well, that's one of the things that I that I that I really am finding that that I like about this show yeah. um, on this rewatch is that you know I had always sort of thought that the next generation was was kind of old fashioned and you know perhaps yeah. uh, uh, you know wasn't going to be um, what was not going to age gracefully. I would say. And what I'm finding is that I really actually appreciate the fact that the show is so compact, that the show um, weaves in uh, prior events and prior character beats and things like that. But it's not just this one long, uninterrupted string of of shit that happens. And each episode feels like a discrete entity. And there's, there's a way to do that, which I think works and i think the show knows what it's doing and it knows how to do it yeah well i mean it, it's and family is in a way uh kind of more of a payoff of stuff that we've seen from the first few seasons in a way that best of both worlds isn't just because it does call back to a, several characters plots um yeah we'll talk about and, family, yeah and but... of course but um in general yeah i i i like that it 
tells us these relatively self-contained stories, but it is they. I, I mean, you can watch any episode of the show. I would assume. I assume later on they'll mention, you know, oh, you know, when you were captured by the Borg from time to time. I'm sure I, that will come up, but at the same time. Yeah, it's a story within and of itself. Again, it's self-contained. I like that. Yeah, and I think that there was a lot of speculation about whether or not this actually was going to be the end of Picard. Because Because it could have been. There could have been. And and there were a lot of rumors floating around during the summer and that, that, you know, sort of like contract negotiations with with Patrick Stewart had broken down and all this kind of stuff. And I actually don't think that any of that was true. I think they were all signed for six years. Okay. So uh, did they do that kind of to fool people maybe or to... I I honestly don't know. Um, Because now, you know, nowadays people do that. Well, one of the funny things that I read was that uh, they actually were circulating like a, a fake uh, synopsis um, that was saying that it was all just a, a, a trick of Q um, to kind of get people, you know, so that the real plot wouldn't come out. And yeah. what, what's interesting about this episode, I think, is that, you know, it doesn't have as much character stuff in it. I think in a way it's a lot more plot driven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, the plot isn't all that important. And so... It's it's really interesting. I think the episode works on a plot level, and it all sort of hangs together really well and makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Even at the end of it, kind of perhaps just it's a little abrupt. Let's say it. It but it doesn't quite hit techno babble in this episode. But I couldn't explain to you exactly what they did at the end. But everybody else knew what they were doing, and it worked in story. And that's kind of you know it worked on that level. Well, in a way, it's you know they're 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 really defining the Borg, right? Because yeah. this is only the Borg's third appearance, and they don't know much about the Borg. Uh, so it's one of those instances where they can kind of get away with doing stuff like that because, in a sense, they're laying the groundwork for for, for yeah. possible future Borg episodes. And you know, once you start getting this accumulated weight of continuity. Uh, it becomes a problem to get in the way of your storytelling, which I think is something that that perhaps um, may have happened with Star Trek, you know, 10 years down the line. But I think at the same time, you know, if if, if you just look at this purely on a, on, a, on a plot level, you know, the, the, the way that they get out of the cliffhanger is great because uh, it, it's kind of brilliant in the way that it just says – Oh, this didn't work, and obviously there's no way that it could work, right? They're yeah. not they're not going to destroy the cube. Uh and in one sense, as soon as the episode starts and nothing happens, it feels kind of a letdown. But then you get that scene with Lacutus where he says, Oh, well ha ha, I have all the knowledge of Picard, well, that- which is why it didn't work. And that's kind of brilliant. Yeah, that actually makes it even more threaded. You know, instead of you know, the stakes at the end of the first episode are, oh, God, he's going to shoot on, uh, you know, Riker has essentially pronounced Captain Picard dead and his, you know, about to destroy the ship and, you know, neutralize this threat. And they figure it out a way to make it heavier, to make it worse, to raise the stakes. And also, I mean, I love that line, you know, where we've adapted, you know, it's it's futile, number one. Like, that's just like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, well, when he's saying that over and over again in that robotic voice, yeah. it's, it's, it's very chilling. It's, and It's the Borg being cruel and, you know, demoralizing them, too. You know, that that must be, the, that. The, I mean, you can imagine how Riker feels at being called number one by this you know well i think it's you know i think it's 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 weird because you know if you if you look at the way that the borg motivation works in this episode you know they sort of reveal that um the borg are doing this because they think that their way of life is is better or something like they're trying to you know so 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 in a sense they're not just making them these faceless nameless enemies they are and they're very very frightening but at the same time they're giving them a motivation that is it makes them a little bit more not sympathetic, but at least understandable because they're not doing this just because they're mean or crazy or, no, they, or evil. They are a – I mean the Borg is cancer essentially. It wants to just take over everything and just continue to – it's unchecked growth. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it's growth with only growth as its purpose. Right. I think that's a good way to put it. As opposed to the Federation, which, you know, we see the Federation getting new members all the time. We see the Federation growing. We see the Klingon Empire wanting to conquer. We see the Romulan Empire and their motivation. We've seen all of these entities which do desire to expand their territory and do, you know, and we see individuals who are ambitious. But, you know, that, that's never considered evil in and of itself. Again, you know, even in the original series when we see a Klingon, they're 
antagonistic, but they I wouldn't call them, you know, wantonly evil. You know, they have their motivations. The the Borg just want to take over. Right. And I think it's 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 funny because the Borg it, we re- when we really talk about Klingons or talk about Romulans, we're sort of talking about uh, groups of, of individual people that, that may or may not have their own motivations for what they're doing. And what we are doing when we're talking about the Borg is we are talking about a single collective entity, which, yeah. you know, frankly does have its own, uh, everybody, there is no, there's no difference really. And so, you know, between one individual Borg and the next. And, you know, what I, what I find so scary about the way that they handle Locutus is that, uh, you know, you could look at it on the one hand as saying, well, they, the reason they, they state for, for wanting Picard is that they want somebody who's a spokesperson. And I think, again, it's interesting that they choose Picard because if you look at what happens in family, it's it's very obvious that Picard is famous. Yes. Like, Picard is General MacArthur, basically, you know? And, yeah. you know, his he, he, he helped... He is the captain which yeah. helped save the Federation and save Earth from the Borg. Uh, this is a big deal, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. is about as big a deal as you can get. But even beforehand, the implication is that he's always kind of been that, you know. Well, I mean, he yeah, is. I mean, if you, you know, we don't know a lot about what Federation civilian life is like, but and we see a little bit of it in family. But uh, it, the fact of the matter is, you know, Captain Picard is the captain of the Federation flagship. He's he's doing all of these things all the time. And so, yeah, he would be famous. I you mean, know, yeah, in, in everybody in the U.S. in the 30s and 40s knew what General Patton was. You know, like, it, I, that's right. kind of how I'm seeing him. Yeah, so... And so what I what I find interesting about, you know, the Borg's choice to, to use Picard is that on the one hand, they're used, they, they kind of know that he's famous or they know that people will yeah. trust him or be interested in him. And so it's really, really uh, disconcerting to make yeah. Picard the voice of the Borg. But on the other hand, they don't – the stated reason is that they want to help people or, or sort of, you know, get people used to the idea of being Borg and they're going to have a human spokesperson. Yeah, that's what they tell them, but – it seems to me in this episode that the real reason is that they want to show people how easy it is to become bored yeah. and this is what's going to happen to you and there's nothing that you can do to stop if it. If they've got in Picard, they can get everybody. Yeah, it's it's it, it, it's it's a morale killer. They want to they their their plan, yeah, is generally by getting the coolest person in the galaxy right now and you know, making him one of them, you know, just that's how they give up. They because yep. the Borg obviously want to have as easy a, a easy uh, an assimilation as possible. They don't want to prolong this, right? And I think you know there there's a hopelessness to the situation as yeah. well because uh, you know if you look at the raw numbers, you know there, there's mm. that you know they they have amassed a fleet of they said forty ships to to meet the Borg cube at, at Wolf three five nine, and uh, the Borg cube decimates them. Yeah, you don't and, even see the battle but it's implied that it was very quick and very easy you know yeah it really didn't stop the borg at all it barely scratched the ship yeah i mean and we've seen that before of course because every time the enterprise you know fires at the borg cube nothing happens um and so there's it's this kind of like again it's this you know i think cancer is a good analogy for it there's just this relentless march and there's nothing that you can do you you may be able to slow it down but you're never going to be able to stop it and you're never going to be able to cure it um, what I think is also interesting about this is that the Borg in some sense, I think, especially once they rescue Picard and they are trying to figure out exactly what they did to him, that there's a, I don't know if it's a, a lack of interest on the Borg's part or if they, I mean, you know, data says he doesn't know if they're unwilling or unable to cut the, the subspace yeah, yeah, link yeah. they have with Picard. But I do think it's interesting that they don't. And I think it's also interesting that Picard is the one who's able to come up with the solution to how to kill them. Uh, because, you know, you've got this big episode that's all about, uh, I mean, this is about as high stakes as you can get. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. this is the end of earth. And, mm-hmm. Picard, you know, is is the one character in the episode that really has this sort of like journey and it's it's kind of conflating the personal and sort of the galactic importance of this and I think it's very thematically appropriate that Picard is the person to have this journey and figure out how to stop them. Nobody else can do that. Well, the thing is it's interesting because they 
in to a degree, so you know the Borg, are, you know, in this episode are are seen as especially dangerous because they know everything that Picard knows. They have essentially taken all the Federation. They know the exact schematics of the of the Enterprise. They know everything that Picard has been taught by the Federation. They know all of the Federation techniques. They have assimilated the Federation to a degree. Part of what <clears throat> part of how they defeat it is essentially. You know, Riker has to turn that thinking on their head on on its head and say, "Well, what can we learn from the Borg? Right? You know, how do we? That needs to. You know, they they talk about how the signal goes both ways. I mean, I think that's part of how they defeat the Borg. They don't think like humans anymore. They think, well, what is important to them? What can't they lose? And you know, as Doctor Crusher says, you know, for them to lose one member is like losing a body part. And that's their threat that they have. I mean, they get, I think the Borg ship, the Borg ship stops because it can essentially, if they shot Picard right now, it would damage the Borg, and they don't right. want to do that. They, they essentially Picard becomes a hostage almost. I think a little bit, yeah. yeah. And I think what's 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 really interesting about or that Lacutus becomes a hostage. Let's right, Lacutus becomes a hostage. But I think you know if you look at the way that they get Lacutus back, of course, and I think this will tie into the the Guinan scene as well in the episode, which is a great scene. Um, is that, well, maybe we can talk about Guinan because I think, you yeah. know, that was this, now that scene, I watched it twice just because I, I, first time I was taking like 3000 notes and the second, I just wanted to watch it. And it's the second time you can like see her heart breaking the entire time and her just saying, I can't, you know, no, this is not the right emotional. It's really I mean, it's an amazing scene. Whoopi Goldberg is one of those actresses that I think people really underestimate. And, you know, it's funny because she had such a such a really strong career, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And then she just sort of dropped all the face of the earth and does the view or whatever she does now. And to be fair, she probably doesn't need or want to work as much. True. But, but you know, you look at this and you say the show was really lucky to get her. Yeah. And she adds so much to this because, you know, it, it's very, very, you know, the, the, the first part of this two-parter was very personal. And it was very much a character study about Riker. What does Riker want? What is Riker yeah. doing? You know, and, and the second part is very much about the plot mechanics again, but at the same time, it's also about Riker coming to terms with the fact that Picard is dead and he has to be dead. And, you know, you get these sort of little character moments in it where, you know, Guinan is saying, you know, look, I'm going to let him go. You have to let him go too. You haven't let him go. Yeah. And so if you look at that last part of part one, where Riker fires on the Borg ship, I think that that is Riker almost running away from the problem because that's the easy solution. Yeah. That is, okay, well, look, you know, we have to destroy this thing because otherwise it's going to destroy Earth. So let's just do it. Once it doesn't work, I don't think that he's really – he doesn't really grasp the fact that Picard is still alive in some sense and that he needs to let him go because there's no getting him back. Well, the thing – I mean most of these characters are seen – I mean it is fairly standard Federation training I would say at this point that – you know, you do the job when it's time to do the job, you know, and you can't afford, you know, the people who are on the Enterprise, you know, Riker is in his position because he doesn't let his emotions choke him in the middle of battle. So at that point, when he's first sees Locutus and he is, you know, saying to fire at the end of part one, he isn't thinking through the implications of that. He is running just because what's the next step? What's the next tactical thing I have to do? And, you know, yeah, once the immediate situation comes down and they're transmitting, that's when he thinks about it and he does begin to freak out. You know, he has the time where he that's when he has time to look down. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, he wants to make, you know, because I think that scene with Guinan really mm. puts it for, you know, well, between the two things. Number one, it's that they know that Picard, Locutus, knows everything that that Picard knew. Right. So so. Anything that Riker is going to do that would be like something Picard would do or something that Riker would do without him is something that he can't do. And so he really needs to uh, uh, act like a completely different person. I mean, or at the same time, I mean, he also says, like, we're going to separate the saucer. You know, I'm counting on them knowing that that's the plan we're going to do. You know, he does make a few moves that the Borg know he's going to make because that's how he's manipulating them in a way. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, what, what he's doing with that, of course, is he's kind of doing the thing that the Borg don't really expect them to do. Because if you, I mean, it might be impossible for the Borg to really understand the importance of one person. 
Yeah. And it may have not even occurred to the Borg that they would go to such lengths to get him back. Yeah. And that even even more importantly than that, that once they get him back, that he is going to be the thing that destroys them. Yeah. Um, You know, in a way, Riker is using... Picard's individuality against the Borg. Yeah, the, he's using the Borg's own weaknesses. I mean, that scene when he's in the med bay and he's saying, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, it's really, you've made a really bad move, you know, this was a stupid plan, you know, trying to get this one guy, what have you gotten? You've gotten nothing, you know, because, the you know, the Borg are at the point where they've considered their strengths so much that they don't realize the inherent weaknesses underneath those strengths. And I also think, you know, frankly... You know, we don't know this for sure, but it seems that the Borg are very, very strong and have not been defeated in a very long yeah. time. That's kind of the implication you get. And oh, yeah. so what I what I think is also really thematically appropriate about that is that it's it's really about hubris, you know, and I think this ties into family as well. But, it, you know, it's really about the fact that this this way of life that we have is stronger than than the borg well there you know there's the thing because you know the federation itself is a team is working towards a common goal i mean this is one of those episodes where everybody has a job to do and they do it and you know if there had been you know if any character had been gone you know this plan would not have worked in the way it did you know the show does that well and this is an example where they're doing that um and yet it's a it's one where they're allowed and encouraged to retain their individuality. Um, the Borg is this forced cooperation, and it doesn't work because it's involuntary in a way. I mean, it doesn't I mean, I think it works. I mean, I, I don't really see any evidence that it doesn't work. Well, I mean, I was going to say, in the, or maybe it did work in the past, and now we figured out how to defeat that. And this is. I mean, the very first episode is talking about, of the show, Encounter at Farpoint. Um, that's essentially Q saying, you know, look, if you're going to this part of the galaxy, you're losing your innocence. You're saying that, you know, we're ready for this. And, you know, obviously, whether they plan this or not, he's talking about the Borg at that point. And I think this is them saying that, yes, maybe the Borg was a superior race or entity or whatever, but now this is humanity finally saying, like, no, the Federation actually is superior to this forced cooperation, and this is a very concrete version of uh, – showing of that. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know – you. The, the... I would say that certainly these episodes are about at least Riker growing up and in that by that symbolically the Federation growing up. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, on the one hand, I think I think the Borg are just a cool enemy. Oh, right? yes. And I think that that's just a way for them to tell an interesting story. There's, think, it, yeah, there is a very there's a reason that beyond these two episodes being really strong that I mean, they're very visually distinctive. Their ships don't look like anything that they, they are cool. You know, yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think, you know, on the other hand, I think what you're saying is is, is kind of interesting because it really is that um, perhaps. The strength here is that the Federation is a collection of different alien species. You know, they're not going after the Klingons. They're not going after the Romulans. You know, interestingly enough, it's the Federation that is calling on the Klingons to help them at Wolf 359. I mean, they do say that the Klingons are sending ships. They've they've thought about contacting the Romulans. You know, so, so this is an external force which is, you know, really affecting all the major powers in this part of the galaxy. Yeah, I think... But they're going after the Federation. And I think it's interesting that the Borg are going after the Federation and not going after someone else. Well, I think, it, you know, it, it almost seems methodical in a way. I mean, that scene when, you know, Lucas is talking to Worf and he's saying, you know, we'll get to the Klingons, you know, at some point. And, like, you could almost imagine, like, the Borg has, like, a list. It's like, all right, we've got, we've got humans, then we'll do Klingons, then we'll do Romulans, then we'll do, you know, like... I'm sure... It's, it's doing one at a time, I think. Almost. I'm sure they do, but I, I find it intriguing that the Borg are going after the Federation first. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think that there's something, there's something to that. You know, that that this is really the one thing that they're very worried about. Well, to be fair, the Federation is the strongest, one of the strongest powers at this point. You know, the Borg might have just an- analyzed that and figured, okay. And, and to also be fair, the Borg had contact with the Federation before it had contact with the Klingons. Q forced that 
but the Borg had contact with the Romulans at the end of the neutral zone. You're forgetting that. Yeah. I mean, back in the well, first season show is the show, but <laughs> you know, I mean, so, um, so they, they definitely, and you know, you could, you could probably make an argument for the fact that the Romulans are more stronger threat to the Borg because the Romulans have uh, stronger ships. Yeah. You know? So really, I think it's just partly it's, it's the show, you know, I don't want to overstate this because partly yes, it's the show doing course. this because this is a show about this ship and not a show about Romulans. If we but... had a Romulan Star Trek, it would be going after the Romulan Empire. Yes. Yeah. So I think that that's probably true. Um, what What do you What do you think about Shelby though? Because she kind of gets short shrift in this episode after being a very integral part of the first part of this. And uh, I mean, I really actually like the scene between her and Riker when. Uh, you know, and she says, like, you know, look, it, it, like, it's, it's got, their relationship gets to the point where I think they, they dislike each other so intensely that they don't have to impress each other and they can be candid with each other. And, like, that scene with, where she's saying, like, look, I know, you know, we don't like each other. I don't like you and you don't like me, but, you know, and he says, you know, he's at the point where he says, yeah, that's true. At the same time, you know, no, you do. You are really a really good officer, you know, and, you know, if you've got a lot to learn, I, I, yes, I had a lot to learn, too. And I think he's recognizing her potential as much as anything. And, you know, that's the thing. Like, he doesn't like her, but he grudgingly respects her. And I think that's kind of the beginning of – that's kind of where the relationship actually begins, you know, because it gets to its lowest point. It can only go up, really. True, yeah. Um. Yeah, she isn't as much of a presence in this episode, but uh, now let, let me ask you this. Is this the last we ever see of her in the series, or does she pop up from time to time? And normally I would play close to the vest, but I don't want you waiting for her to come back, so no, she doesn't. Okay, I you know, and I was just, that's honestly a curiosity. Like, she could come in in any of another dozen innocuous context. I know the Borg show up another couple of times, or it could just be even a... You know, oh, hey, Lieutenant, you know, Commander Shelby. Oh, that's your ship? Wow. You know, right, let's, let's yeah. team up. You know, they could bring her in anything. But Yeah. Okay. On the whole, though, I think this is a, a good, uh, solid ending to this two-parter. And I think it's very successful. And I, I think it really does show the fact that the show is really at the top of its game at this point. There was one callback I really liked. Um I really like the relationship between Picard and Guinan because it's only it's been still it, it's only been implied or alluded to, but every time they talk about it, it gets a little deeper. I mean, we, I, she in this episode says, you know, we have a relationship. It's we're stronger than family. Like we have just a very deep bond, and you know that reminds me of the. Well, I I I think you're you're mischaracterizing it. I you know it's not just a it's not a deeper bond. It's she says it goes beyond friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. beyond family. It's in some other category that we don't understand. Yeah, which which you know to me that gives the that gave me the impression no, like she and Picard would you know take a bullet for each other. Like they just. It reminds me of the one where she says, you know, oh, I really like bald men. You know, a bald man did me, you know really helped me out at one point. And that was obviously implied to be, you know, Picard at that point. So I don't know what their history is. I don't know how much they ever reveal to it. You know, when Riker says that he, Picard had never told him anything, Guinan doesn't go into any further detail because it's neither, it's not his business, but. It's also weird because it doesn't seem like Riker likes her very much or, or maybe he doesn't, he, he thinks or doesn't that, have patience for her. He thinks that she's the admittedly wise bartender. You know right. what I mean? Like he's. He's at the, you know, we know Guinan knows exactly what to say at any moment, and we know that she's a lot more than she's lets on to be. I think she just, and Picard knows that. Yeah. Whatever, whatever, whoever Guinan is, Picard has a fairly good idea of her. Riker doesn't yet. He just hasn't had, I think he just doesn't see her as much as she is. That could be, yeah. Yeah, and so he just thinks like, the bartender is in is in my office right now. Like I I I need to deal with this problem. And what is she gonna complain about the drinks? You know, right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this is. I mean, these two episodes together are a ten. I would say. Okay. Good. Ten. Yeah. Let's move on to family. 
And I liked this episode a lot because I, I always think it's in. This was barely science fiction. These any of the sci-fi elements were incidental. This could have been a World War Two, post World War Two drama in which somebody who was a prisoner of war, you know, comes back to his old hometown. You know that that's everything was character in this episode and all of it was really. You have these three main arcs. You have a Wesley arc. You have a Worf arc and a Picard arc and they're all give very good insight into the three characters and are all interesting in of themselves and I liked that I'm glad you picked up on that because this was a very hard episode for them to do uh Gene Roddenberry did not want to do it um which you know frankly I think shows that he wasn't quite with it short-sighted yeah um he really really didn't like the fact that there would be this interpersonal conflict he still was on this kick about you know yeah we've all solved our problems and nobody has any disagreements in the 24th century thing um i'm sure that there could be a whole book written by a psychologist on gene roddenberry and what exactly was going on with him (laughs) to to cause this sort of weird idea and uh they really had to fight to make this episode and i think it was well worth doing because it's it's so good and it's so doesn't know how good it is at the same time that it just is frankly astonishing. Like, I mean, okay. So that end shot of best of both worlds part two, where, you know, Picard is like, Oh, I'm fine. You know, the, those pesky Borgs are defeated. And then he's just kind of holding his tea and just looking out the window and, you know, yeah, every, every, you know, there are so many, Things in that particular scene, I mean, he's dealing with some post-traumatic stress. He's dealing probably with the fact that he was connected to all of these people and suddenly that's shut down. I mean, he's dealing with knowing that this was out there and that the Borg are not totally defeated. You know, he's dealing with all of these things. And I think the fact that the show makes an episode to address that and is kind of, I mean, that, 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 it would be a kiddie show if they hadn't dealt with the fallout of the Borg incident. I don't know that I would say it would be a kiddie show, but I think that... It would be a lot less sophisticated. It, it, this makes it more of a respectful show that actually treats its characters seriously. I think so, yeah. I think that's true. And I think that's why Michael Pillar pushed for this episode. You yeah. know, And I think you see that throughout this episode as well in that... You know, the very early part of the episode is, is is Troy and Picard talking in his quarters. And, you know, it's it's obvious that, you know, this is sort of taking place a couple weeks after the events of yeah. Best of Both Worlds. And Picard has sort of been busy, like, uh, you know. He's been getting, in her office every day. <laughs> be, being get, Getting acclimated to being back on the Enterprise and, and overseeing the refit and things yeah. like that. And now it's time for him to go and do something else yeah. for, for a week or so. And. You know, so there's that implication there that he has been going to to Troy for some from psychological counseling, yeah. and you know he's obviously back to uh, his full physical strength, but the the scars are still there from the Borg incident, and I, I like that it doesn't really shy away from that. I like that it doesn't shy away from the fact that Picard is out of his element again. You yeah. know, I, you know Troy seems to think that it's not uh, it's not coincidental that he decides to go back to France to visit his brother who doesn't like him. And his wife, who he's never met, and his nephew, who he's never met. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, he is assaulted on all sides by people that want something from him. Yeah. You know, and, and it doesn't seem to be that... There, there's almost a sense that, you know, I, I mean, you could almost make the argument that this is sort of a meta-commentary about how non-science fiction people view science fiction. You know, that that it's it's not serious like none of this is serious yeah. it's all for fun you know um serious drama doesn't have you know spaceships in it and robert is very very dismissive of what has happened to picard and yeah. i don't th- you get kind of the sense that people on earth don't really understand frankly what's going on and that yeah I how, mean, they, you, how much information did they get about what exactly happened they they got again whatever you know war hero picard was you know captured by the enemy and you know he was daringly rescued and now he's back and you know let's have a parade for him like they every you know I, 
the nephew, the boy who just spends his days looking at the stars and dreaming of adventures, I mean, that's, I think, what most people think being a starship captain is. I think they... Their their version of starship captaincy is fairly close to what Captain Kirk is. I mean, they, they, right. they, he's a cool, cooler than everybody action hero who's you know just doing awesome things all the time. And if he's in danger, well, it's nothing that's going to leave a permanent scar. And you know, this episode is basically saying no, like you, you, being a starship captain puts you very close to being captured and tortured by a an enemy that can only vaguely be comprehended. I I think this episode makes it clear of the toll that that takes. And if, you know, Picard gets over this a little more quickly than maybe somebody would in quote-unquote real life, um, you know, that's that's a nature of the beast of, you know, the fact that they're not making this a several seasons long arc, but... Yeah, and frankly, I don't, I don't know how entertaining or interesting yeah. or enjoyable it would be to watch a character deal with the fallout of post-traumatic stress disorder for five years. Exactly. I don't want to watch that. Which goes back um, to saying, like, I'm glad that everything is so kind of compact because it... I, I In this particular storyline, there's no bullshit. You know, there are no filler episodes. This is a very, fairly complex story told in three episodes. Yeah, that's true. And I, you know, I, I think what I really, what I really appreciate about this episode and what I, what I find so... Um, admirable admirable about it uh not to be confused with admiral um is that who's uh dead. Who's... one out <laughs> actually i don't know and he's not dead is he no dead? in the yeah he, when he when when he's on the screen of like oh the borg are attacking and like the screen is flashing and you see all of the ships destroyed i mean i i think they would have shown him at the end of the episode saying good job Picard, you know if he wasn't dead oh i, I thought that was a fairly poor ad, poor admiral yeah. This is what happens. You're not an asshole admiral and you get killed. So that's why all the admirals are assholes because that's how they stay alive. Hey, only the good die young. That, uh, you know, Picard doesn't really seem to know what to do with himself on Earth. He doesn't really seem to know what to do with himself in France. He drinks a lot. Like, you know, he's he's visiting childhood friends, which yeah. want something from him. Everybody wants something from him. They want to give him a parade. They want to give him the keys to the city. You know, they want to make him director. I mean, this is kind of like well, what... you get you get the sense that, you know, again, Picard is famous. You know, Picard is uh, the General MacArthur. You know, Picard is the Eisenhower. And so less that they want something from him and more that they they don't think they want to real... reward him in a way that's you know they want they want to, they want to retire him really no I they mean, they don't it, think he's a real person in this episode i don't think they think he's a real person that's i i don't necessarily disagree with that you know he's a he's a symbol he's an icon let's give him the keys to the city yeah you know, maybe we, we don't have to deal we don't have to deal with him on a real level nobody has to deal with him on a real level because he's the captain of a starship maybe part of the reason yeah i mean he's give so Picard essentially has this choice in this episode. You know, he knows the worst that being a starship captain can be. He's he knows the best, but what he's just gone through is probably the worst thing he has gone through in his entire career, if not his life. Certainly psychologically. Yes. Um and probably physically as well. While Crusher can remove the implants, you know, fairly well, he's still got a hell of a lot of cybernetic implants in him. Yeah. Know, that and that's not pleasant. Um, he's given the point where if he wanted to, he really could get a room in his brother's plate in his childhood home with his brother and his, you know, sister-in-law and nephew. He could have a very nice, calm, his uncle. Yeah. Um, he could have a nice, calm life there. He would have a lot of really good wine and probably really good food. And he could have a job, which assumedly this job that his friend is given giving him is not a very demanding job i would assume it would be not quite a sinecure but he's just mostly going to be a figurehead in that company you know and i don't know it seemed like it would be pretty demanding to me i mean the, the the sense that i got from the episode and this is not frankly that important but no. that uh they're trying to make a new continent and it's not going well and so they want someone to come in and like kick ass and get people moving again that that's the sense i got from it anyway i i don't think this is a figurehead position at all i think they really want him i think for picard for picard it would not be as demanding as a starship job well no of course not certainly but... I, and i i guess you know maybe 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 i i 
again, maybe- they're not asking him to run for federation president. They're asking him to, um, you know, go work at a mining company. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. He would have a good job back in his childhood home is essentially what. And he could do that easily. And I think this episode is where he does see a vision of he could retire at this point. He could leave it behind. He has had his adventures. And also that that, that no one would blame him, frankly, yeah. for retiring at this point. They would consider this him enjoying the fruits of his labor. I guess that's why I see this job as, not, as maybe a little easier than you might see it. Because I got the sense it was his reward job. You're going to be given a nice office, you know getting paid a lot, and while it's going to be an intellectually stimulating and challenging job, it's going to be a job that's well within your capabilities. Well, I think it's 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 more that Picard is putting himself in danger all the time. And, and you know, being a Starship captain is obviously very dangerous. It's very demanding. Um, you have the lives of a thousand people riding on your shoulders, you know, 24 hours a day. And this would be a, even though I think this job would be very, very challenging, I don't think that it's going to be that challenging, I think is, is, is really the takeaway there. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, I think that Picard turning it down is interesting because, you know, in the one sense, yeah, you can, I mean, we, we made a lot of hay over Star Trek five and it's sort of like, um, uh, I don't know if you would call it uh, uh, a dismissal of psychotherapy, but it may be misunderstanding or something. And, you know, with, with the whole cyborg thing and, you know, healing pain and things like that. And, you know, in this episode, it very much is like, well, they need to have a fight with his brother and then he's okay again. Um, I don't get the sense in this episode that Picard is okay again. I think yeah. he's, he's, he's slightly better. And I think he's had a internal disagreement with himself about what exactly it is that he's doing. And I think going home was a way for him to, to subconsciously work that out. Well, I, I think what, yeah, I, I think it all hinges is on what Robert says that, uh, after they do have a fight, he says, you know, look, you're going to live with this for a very long time. Like Picard is going to get nightmares from time to time. Picard, if, if he ever sees the Borg again, is going to have a very difficult, Type of things. Random things are going to, you know, going to set him off. Like, he's going to be dealing with this, if not for the rest of his life, for a very long time. Sure. But, you know, Robert says, you know, you're either going to live with this on a starship or in the bottom of the sea figuring out how to make Atlantis. Like... Either way, you're going to be hiding. And I think for for, him, I think that frames it in the context of... Going back to France and living there, I think Picard at the beginning might be thinking, you know, this is a way to solve my problems. And, you know, Robert says, no, you're going to have your problems either way. Just pick where you want to have the problems. You know, if Picard had the choice between having this PTSD and not, he would choose to not. Right. But that's not his choice. And I think he chooses the one that where he really does belong. Yeah, and I think Picard is punishing himself in a way. I mean, I, I don't think it's incidental he that he, he so, walks yeah. from the town. He doesn't take a bus. Like, you know, and so, like, even little things like that. Like, why put that in the episode? Well, it's it's important for some reason, right? I think yeah. he's, he's he's making – he's delaying his own healing. He's he's kind of beating himself up about it in a sense. He's he's not willing to deal with this kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, I think, you know – Which is how psychological if, resistance works. You don't – but Picard, when he's saying, you know, I, I didn't stop them, I wasn't able to stop them, you know, he blames – blames himself for all of those 40 people dying, you know, 40 ships dying. He blames yeah. himself for the fact that he got caught. He blames himself for the fact that, you know, and, and so I think there's a set there's a there, you know, this is unstated in the episode and perhaps would have been a bit too dark for this kind of show at this point in, in television history. But I think there's, yeah. you know, you can easily see a line in this episode that is like, I wish I had died, you know, yeah, um, it would be easier for everybody. Uh and I also yeah, think if the, it's... if the Borg had just killed Picard, you know, it would be just as devastating, if not more so. But no, I don't would... think the Borg killed Picard. I think he would, you know, he would have wanted to blow up on the ship. I think oh, yeah, it's yeah. kind of the implication. Um, and I don't. I also don't think it's incidental that you know because we don't know anything about his family. This is the first time that they ever mentioned his brother and his, you know, all this stuff. But the fleshing out of his character, I think, works, and the fact that he goes home to this admittedly grumpy cantankerous guy who explicitly says that he does not like yeah. Jean-Luc you know this why go here like there's you know he's obviously trying to punish himself um which i find interesting he need, you know he says that in a way uh, 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 um 
the brother is the only one who won't take any of Picard's shit in a kind of a way. He does, you know, we talked about how when, you know, Shelby and Riker, you know, talk to each other, they don't have anything to impress each other anymore, you know. They kind of got each other's number and they don't have to like each other and so they can be very honest with each other. I mean, Picard, to a degree, is scared of his brother, I would say, you know? Yeah, he's he calls, call- him, calls him a bully. Yeah, and, like, you could see exact exactly how the relationship went. Picard excelled at everything. I mean, Robert was probably asked constantly, why couldn't can't you be more like your brother? And, you know, this is a prodigal son narrative where he's the good brother who stays behind while, you know, Jean-Luc does whatever the hell he wants. And, you know, that resentment caused, you know— Robert to be nasty to Picard, and that made Picard kind of rub his accomplishments even a little more. And, you know, you can just see that feedback looping. And Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and the other thing that I think is interesting about that as well is that this is the one place where Picard really isn't a starship captain, and that no one is going to treat him like one, right? I mean, there is literally nowhere else in probably the entire Federation that Picard could go and 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 not be reminded of the fact that he is a starship captain yeah. at all times, right? I mean, even at Risa, that happened to him, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He can't stay on the Enterprise. He can't go anywhere else on Earth. Um, this is the one place. You go to your home that you yeah. grew up in. These he, are the people that know you better than anybody else, even if they don't like you. And so they're going to treat you like how you want to be treated. He, he wants but, his brother to, to, to beat him up because, you know, he— yeah. Picard wants to be beaten up. Picard wants to be told what he's doing wrong. I think Picard wants to be punished. Yeah, really. and the brother is more than willing to do that, accommodate that. Yeah, and you know, and yet I, th- I you know, I, I love that it does end with them. You know, I, I love that they, you know, laugh hysterically at the end of the fight. You know, the, in these weeks, you know, Patrick Stewart had a lot of fun. You can tell he loved being Locutus. That's that scene when he's on the bridge and like talking to all of the people is both terrifying and hilarious, you know. But you can tell he loved having a mud fight this week. Um Yeah. Well, let's talk about Worf and his plot because oh, I love Worf's parents so much. Yeah, and they're so awesome. <laughs> You, you know, they picked pretty much the the the, the perfect yeah. actors for the, <laughs> for these parts because the fact that these are Worf's parents, frankly, makes no sense. Oh yeah, you... and you, can't, I mean, this is like you know they always say like, well, parents and children never understand each other and blah blah blah. And it's like, yeah, these people are so unlike Worf in every way. And yet they really do love him and they really are worried about him. And he really, you know, does love and appreciate them, even if it takes him forever to admit it. But, you know, and I think in a similar way to how Picard is running away from his problems and wants to be punished. You know, I don't think Worf wants to be punished, but, you know, I think that Worf is running away from he's trying to stay away from earth. He wants to stay on the enterprise because in a, in, in a similar fashion to how Picard wants to isolate himself by going to his hometown, Worf wants to isolate himself by staying on the enterprise. You know, both of them are sort of like staying in their areas where they feel the least like people will treat them in a way that they don't want to be treated in a way. Yeah. You know, like I, I think, I think Worf's a little more subtle than that because I think, you know, Worf's been excommunicated, and, you know, the Klingon side of himself is super important to him. And, you know, we've talked about that a lot of times. You yeah. Know, he, you know, he he is uber Klingon in some ways. And so the fact that he's been – that's been taken from that, he's feeling like he's completely isolated and alone, and, and he's lost everything. And, you know, the bit with Guinan and the prune juice even, that, you know, harkens back to the fact that, no, there are aspects of humanity that Worf does love. And I, I think his parents make it clear that, look, you've been – this part has been completely taken from you unfairly, and maybe no one else can understand that. Maybe no one else can share that pain, but – that doesn't mean that we're not family. That doesn't mean that the people you're on the Enterprise with are not your family. That doesn't mean that, you know, because I th- I think they make it clear to him that, look, no matter what you go, you're going through, there are a ton of people who are pulling for you, you know? Yeah. They make yeah. it clear. You know, they say, like, everyone on this ship thinks the world of you, you know? No matter what happens on Klingon, 
Worf is never going to be exiled from the Federation, you know. He's never going – these two people who are not his biological parents are never going to stop being his parents. These – his friends are never going to stop being his friends. And I think they – I think he needs to be reminded of that and he almost doesn't – they kind of give him permission to be a little human in this episode. I don't know if they give him permission to be human, but I think they give him permission to uh... – open up to people because Connect i think that humans, maybe. because i think that what 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 you know the problem with Worf is uh not as a character but but just as a psychological yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. being is that you know he was raised on a human colony he was raised by human parents he was surrounded by humans i mean they tell that story about how they walked in and you know the five-year-old Worf and given you know five bloody uh, teenagers bloody noses um that you know that's a story that Jordy thinks is hilarious for some it reason is. Um, that, uh, you know, he, he is uber Klingon, as we've said before. And so, so, but he doesn't really know. I mean, he, he, it's difficult, right? Because you, you kind of get the sense that, that Worf has learned a lot about Klingons by reading books. Yeah. And I mean, when he goes to the Klingon homeworld, he is shocked by the corruption there, but yeah, cause so, he's seen the party line. So it's kind of like he, he knows the letter, but he doesn't know the spirit. And, you know, I find it hard to believe that. Worf, Worf doesn't allow himself to be vulnerable because that would be a admission that he doesn't really know how to be a true Klingon, right? In a yeah. way, because the only way that he knows how to be a Klingon is, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of like the 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 conversion, you know, where yeah. where you you know converts are always so much more uh into the idea than than people that were raised in a certain religion because they have to prove to themselves that they are real whatever they are and i think that's what is going on with Worf. and so i mean yeah it's it's kind of the thing in a way like you know if you convert to catholicism it's just your you know it's a practice but you know if you're born catholic you know it's kind of part of your who you are how you were you know and raised in a way and so you kind yeah you do go you know it to the degree because if you slip in even a little bit, well, you're that that's because you're not authentically that. You know, Worf can't feel Worf doesn't feel like he can authentically say he's Klingon unless he's being Klingon one hundred percent all the time. Right. And I well I don't I, I wouldn't even say I wouldn't even say being Klingon one hundred percent of the time. I think that he doesn't really understand the different gradations of what it means to be a Klingon, right? Like yeah. if he was raised on on the Klingon homeworld or whatever by Klingons by his parents, and you know this had happened to him and he had been discommodated, he would have had a couple of childhood friends that he could have called up on subspace and been like, "Well, this sucks." You know, and 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 he doesn't really know. And yeah, he would have plenty of people who, you know, well, I'm not really living on the Klingon homeworld, so discommodation. Gee, that sucks. Like, we could still meet for prune juice, right? Yeah. And he doesn't understand that, right? And he doesn't know that, and so his parents are kind of there to say, you know what, you can open up to us. We yeah. know this is difficult for you. Be- just because you're opening up to us doesn't mean that you're any less of a Klingon or any less of a man. And I think yeah. it's interesting that his father uses the word man, right? Yeah. Like, you know, they don't, they don't, I don't know that they really buy into the whole Klingon stuff. You know, I mean, no. they know he's a Klingon and they know that's important to him. But they're, I, they're... You get the sense they almost find his Klingonness. I don't want to say amusing, but they're just a. I mean, they, you could tell what kind of parents they are. They were doting, cuddling, loving parents. You know, the mother, you know, says, I learned how to make blood pie, which, you know, as far as they're concerned, you know, is the worst meal that they could ever make. And it's probably fairly complicated. And where do you get the ingredients? But she does that for him. And, you know, she says, like, there was a time, you know, he would only eat Klingon food, you know, he, he, she treats it almost like a doting mother who is just running with her son's idiosyncrasy, you know, like, okay, he's going to be Klingon. Well, I'll make him Klingon food, you know, and I, I don't know that that says a lot for who they are and how they feel about that. Do you think Worf had a bar mitzvah? I be- I would <laughs> love to have gone to his bar mitzvah. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I think it's nice that Worf has that. And I think yes. Worf is... You know, it's funny because you, you have that scene at the very early part of the episode where he's waiting for his parents to beam up and he's always, oh, my, my mother's late, you know, and, and, and O'Brien's like, yep, yeah, women, what are you going to do? Uh, parents, <laughs> yeah. you know. And uh, I think it's nice because it kind of shows that Worf is a little more 
uh, human than he lets on. He's mortified. He's embarrassed by his parents. You know. Yeah. I mean, like, and I love, I love that his dad is like this gigantic geek that all of uh, everybody loves immediately because he's just, you know, he. Because who does he hang with? O'Brien and Jordy mostly, and they're just talking about engines. You know, yeah, I lo- he's like in a, in a way, Worf's dad is like a star. He's a Star Trek geek. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and he's sort of like, don't embarrass me, don't embarrass me. You know, which I like, and I also like the fact that Jordy calls him Chief. I think that there's a uh, there's a level of respect there that yeah. I really appreciate. You know, and 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 that you know, in this episode, it really is about. Um, if you can tie all of the disparate, you know, plot elements together, because in a way this is really about three separate plots. Yeah. We haven't even talked about Crusher, but you know, we can talk Wesley, about that. Wesley, this show, I mean, does concentrate but, um, on him the least. But I think it's that really that, you know, family is what you make it. Yeah. You know, your family is your family, but you also have family that are friends. You have family on the enterprise and that everybody sort of understands. Right. And, and even yeah. though we're different species and we've been raised in different environments and all this kind of stuff, you know, it, it, we are all the same in some sense. And I think that that's a really nice message. I th- Yeah, I think it's a nice moment. What I like is that this episode shows all of them being kind of very honest with family members in a way. Like Picard and his brother just finally cut the bullshit and just talk about what they actually want to talk about. Uh Worf's parents reiterate, you know, look, no, no matter, you know, no matter, even though we're completely different species, you're our child and we will, we're there for you, you know? Yeah. Wesley's dad, you know, gives him, you know, as much of a connection and life advice as he can in this medium. And well, I think in one sense, you know, the, the, the crusher stuff is weird because it only takes about five minutes of screen time. If that, I mean, there's, there's basically one scene to set it up with Troy and, and, and and Beverly crusher. And then there's another scene at the very end, basically. And when, when, when Dr. Crusher gives him the thing. Right. And so, I don't really, I mean, on, on the ones that you say, like, well, maybe the episode was just running short and they didn't want to pad it out anymore. And so they added this, it, you know, I don't know that we were really clamoring for a resolution to this, but I think it works. I think it's nice. I think it's 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 good that they give Wesley and Beverly something to do. It feels like the kind of thing where this had been knocking around the writer's room for a while. Like, look, you know, what we need to have Wesley in some way get a message from his, you know. I, I think maybe they even, you know, they might have even drafted that scene just to stick wherever they could, and this seemed like a perfect place to put it. Like, that, to, to that, it almost, that's almost what it seems like Yeah, that scene was for. And, I mean, thematically, of course, it resonates with the rest of them, and it... And I think, I, you know, and I, I also think, you know, frankly, you know, Wesley is, is, a, is a problematic character, and they never really figure him out, um, and... You know, they go from the boy genius who does crazy things to stick in everyone's crawl in the first and second seasons. And they sort of step back from that in the third season. And now he's becoming a man. And, you know, in the one sense, it's kind of like, okay, well, they never really figure him out. They never really know what to do with him. So this almost kind of feels like them saying, okay, well, we're reaching the end of Wesley for some, you know, like he's he's grown up now um, or he is grown up or he is growing up or whatever. And so this is kind of like the graduation in effect. Yeah. The, you know, the, the thing Wesley may have been a child prodigy, but I mean, I think we're be- almost beginning to see that he is going to be a, a very solid, if not utterly exceptional member of Starfleet when he finally gets into the Academy, you know, in 10 years, he's going to have a very nice mid-level career. And yeah. I think that's, you know, he 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 Wesley will probably never be a captain on a starship. Maybe he'll be Geordi when he grows up. You know, like that's the kind of level that I think he's getting to. And I think you know, to a degree, there. And I think I said this, like he, you know, being a prodigy in your high school is very different from you know actually being in the real world. You know, this is Wesley is working in the real world, and he's. Not, you know, he may be the greatest in his class, but he's not the greatest ensign right now. I think it's interesting that that's the conclusion you draw. Why? And I'll just leave it there. Okay. Because I don't want to spoil anything about oh, what happens no. to Wesley. Oh, no. Oh. The seventh season of the show is, is Captain Wesley Crusher. Okay. No. Um. Yeah, no. And I, I, I think, I think there's, there's something to that, definitely. And I think that, you know... 
the the show has definitely given short shrift to Wesley, I think, especially in the third season. Um, he's a character that, uh, again, is problematic and they don't really know what to do with. And so I think this is a way for them to get out of it, frankly, and yeah. to sort of start to say, okay, well, we're wrapping this up. Like, yeah. we're almost done with him, guys. I, I mean, let's face it, at the end of and the I last season... I think it's nice. The you end know, of I think the it's last, a nice yeah. scene. The end of the last season, they said that, you know, well, you're going to the Academy next year. So, I mean, it, it, it's... They have an out for him, you know, by the end of this season, you know. I think it's um, it's 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 the weakest part of the episode. I don't think it's a bad part of the episode. I think the episode I'm glad they works. spent five minutes total on Exactly. It. I think if this was one of the main subplots, I think it would have been a problem. It's 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 a fine scene. We don't really know that much about Drac Crusher. We still don't know that much about him except that but he loved know. his son. But, you know, it's bittersweet and all these kind of things. Yeah. And it's it's kind of your your stock dad speech. Um, in a lot of ways, there's not a lot of like specific personal information there, but there can't be because, yeah. of course, this was you know yeah. recorded when Wesley was first born. Um, you know, and I think you know the other thing too is is funny, and, and maybe this is a good way to wrap up. But you know, what what's really interesting about this episode is that I think at the end of the day, it's it's all about uh, we don't you know, and I think I think um, that you know it's not really about what you do or what you say, but you, people remember how you make them feel. And so Maya Angelou said that. I didn't say that. Um, and so what I like about this episode is that it kind of is 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 an encapsulation of that. You know, yeah. like Beverly Crusher remembers that Jack Crusher had a good sense of humor and made her laugh. You know, Picard remembered that his brother made him feel like shit. Worf remembered that his parents made him feel loved. And so whatever other problems they have they remember these things yeah. and they come back to them when they need them the most and they're there for them. You know, yeah. and that's what family is. Okay. Well, next week <laughs> we are talking about brothers and suddenly human, but wait, what about cousins and cousins? <laughs> <laughs>